Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives for the most part. And secondarily, because... It also tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials the more people use these tools in their day-to-day lives. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, they can provide a, a service as a powerful tutorial to help you get the most benefit out of the use of these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. 
and um, we should also mention the resource that's available at mindshiftersacademy.org, which is another website where some of the shows, some of the audio file shows that have been uh, delivered over the past 12 plus years are there. There's also the educational materials page there, which has a mental short version of this tool, which is what I use in my therapy practice to introduce people to the Reality Management Worksheet. And um, as I mentioned, it has a whole host of uh, audio files, including the audio files from last year and even this year by month of um, the, the Mind Shifters radio show, at least the first hour. And... Um, We hope people avail themselves of that. On the mindshiftersacademy.org is also where you can find all the information you would need to join us if you choose to join us for the Mindshifter support groups, which happen on Tuesday and Thursday night. And since this is a Tuesday, there will be one again tonight from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. It's free. It's through Zoom. We'd be happy to have you join us or have you... Um, spread the word to somebody you think might benefit from joining us. Again, that's at mindshiftersacademy.org. And um, there's a separate login information page for Tuesday and Thursday, so please reference that if you're using it for yourself or directing somebody else. And um, feel free to join us. So, we have um, plenty of time left for comments and questions in today's show. There's um, a lot we were talking about yesterday. There are things that I've been working with in people in private sessions today. There's um, There were a couple things that I was thinking about beginning to talk about today and uh, the the biggest one is simply the idea of how to make your life your experience of life moment to moment more loving and anything you can do whether it's the use of these tools or prayer or meditation or anything else Anything you can do to make your day-to-day, moment-to-moment life experience more loving, that's what we're promoting in this work. It is um, it's what a lot of people talk about when they've had near-death experiences. It's the true meaning of life from the perspective of basically every true spiritual teaching. It's the core of the teachings in every religion, whether that particular the people in a particular religion have drifted away from it or not. Every religion began with the core idea of learning to be more loving, learning to spread compassion, care for one another, pardoning, joy, It 
whatever you might do to lift the spirits of another, that's how every religion began. It began with the concept of love, capital L love, not obsession, just with some of the things from the way of mastery I had said over and over again. Love allows all things, embraces all things, trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things. I just, I marvel every time that I go through that about how contrary that is to what we've been taught in our culture. We are not taught that love allows all things. We are taught judgment. We are taught separation. We are taught competition. And the fact of the matter is that can't be the heart of what our lives are about. Because if it were, then there would be constant degradation. There would be constant war and suffering. I just flashed on the the thing that uh, people, different teachings talk about Darwin's Origin of the Species as a book and how it was cherry-picked this idea from that book about survival of the fittest and yet that's not really what the book is about when you look at ant colonies and you look at beehives and you look at schools of fish and flocks of birds and herds of animals they thrive not by survival of the fittest but by cooperation and collaboration and it can be argued that every great human accomplishment has been whether you want to talk about the building of a bridge, the building of a building, traveling to space for those that believe we've actually gone into space on the moon, uh, the, the, the building of an airplane, an airline that can take hundreds of people on a trip, all of that takes the cooperation of people. Not one of those things was ever accomplished by a single person deciding to go off and act independently. And so you can see it just through direct observation how powerful it is that when we cherry-pick an idea from a book like Darwin's Origin of the Species, and we say, oh, let's just limit our observations to situations in which people were uh, competitive, whether it's plants or animals or uh, different species were competitive, and, and ignore everything else, then you can clearly 
if you choose to, you can clearly build a, a set of beliefs that it's survival of the fittest that drives our, our life on this planet. But you're really using a myopic filter. You're really using selective attention. And you're missing the vast majority of the flow of creative energy and the vast majority of everything good that's been done through, and, and by good I mean a productive, growing, building that's been done through human endeavors. It hasn't been one person running off by his or herself because they were the biggest and they were the strongest and they were the most fit and therefore they created a skyscraper or they created a railway system or they created an entire economy that could clothe and feed millions of people. So it's there to be observed. We are not slaves of the survival of the fittest model. It's never been what's driven progress in our world. So what if? What if we're all just making this up? Why don't you make up something that leaves you feeling better about yourself and your interactions with your fellow human beings? What if it's about love? What if about if it's about learning to be loving in more and more difficult situations day in and day out? And what if that's the thing that's going to bring you the greatest sense of connection, safety, value, Well, that's basically the premise of the work we're doing with the Reality Management Worksheet, to understand that these other emotions, these emotions that you might call as less than love or other than love, serve a purpose. They're part of our, our experience of life, so they serve a purpose, and yet that purpose is not the primary purpose. That purpose is to simply let us know when our thoughts are off the mark. It's a it's a Geiger counter, it's a compass, it's a course correction indicator. It's an indicator of the need for a course correction. And that's why we have the Reality Management Worksheet and the other tools offered by Michael and Jeannie Rice, so that we can step into the use of those tools and figure out what we're doing with our mind energy, which in itself is a creative force, and what we're doing with our mind energy that is creating the experience of an, an emotion that we say we don't want, something that leaves us tight or tense or upset, and then change it. Since we are creators, we have the choice. As soon as I say the word choice, I think how many times when I was reading The Way of Mastery, did I highlight the use of the word choice, choosing and choice in that book. Because from the very, on the fifth page of the very first lesson, it says unequivocally, we don't experience 
anything except the effects of our own choices. And over and over again, that book highlighted our need to be aware that we are creative beings, that we are choosing our experience of life, and that we hide from ourselves our own creative power whenever we blame anyone or anything outside of us for anything we're experiencing. And the other thing I was going to mention in this session in the intro is the incredible power of cross-generational family patterns. The idea that we are absolutely blind to the fact that the strengths and weaknesses, the successes and failures, the traits that we have as people get handed down to us through the generations. And in the ancient words it says, yea, unto three and four generations these things get passed. Now, the way the original statement was handed down to us, it says the sins of the fathers. But if you dig into the meanings of these words, all that means is the energies that are off the mark get passed. But so do the energies that are on the mark. So, you know, my strengths, my unique skills and talents probably have been in my bloodline for generations. I remember the um, hearing the story from Dr. Michael Rice about how he had this job between owning several businesses and um, and three fancy cars, etc., and deciding to uh, do his other work, his spiritual work, etc. And um, he took a job after he closed his businesses and was going to go on to school, he took a job uh, for, um, he didn't say what it was originally, and then um, and then he went to work in the, I almost said minefields, but it was, uh, he said he was doing roofing in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, in the summer, and he's up on a roof, 95 degrees outside, and he's putting hot tar on the roof. And somebody came to him and said, hey, look, you know that work you did for us last year? We want you to do that, and we want to start a company, and we'll give you half of the company, and we'll put up all the money, and you bring the expertise, and we'll give you whatever car you want, and we'll start you at $100,000 a year salary. And, and Michael said, you know, Prior to his awakening and realizing he needed to do something different with his life, that would have been very tempting. But because his primary and secondary purpose were already focused, he he wasn't tempted. He said, no, thank you. Well, he told that story for years, and I never understood anything about what that job was that he did for them that was so remarkable that they wanted him to do it again and create a new company. But years later, he talked about being with his, her, his mother. Michael was with his mother near the end of her life. And he was you know, spending this lovely time talking about their past and the family and this and that. And he told her the story of what he did in that job. 
And he said, and wasn't that remarkable that I could do this? And she said, no, that's not remarkable. That's exactly what your fill-in-the-blank, whether it was his father or his grandfather, had done um, after the Depression or through the Depression. I forget exactly the details of the story. But basically it was that Michael went out and collected money that was long overdue from people and families that owed these insurance companies their money. And essentially, you know, it was so long overdue that the companies had written it off. And Michael went out and just lovingly, firmly made a connection, established a relationship, encouraged these people to pay back their debt in a way that wouldn't cripple them, but but would, you know, feed a stream of money into the business that he was working for and they loved him and Michael talked about how and people still send him you know invitations to uh, their children's weddings etc but he was the bill collector and they loved him and it was such a unique ability that people wanted him to start a business to do it and teach it to others and when he told his mother about that, she said, no, that's exactly what your dad or your grandfather did in the Depression. Everybody loved him, and they gave him the money they needed. And These things, not just our sins, but our strengths, get passed down generation to generation to generation. And I heard that story from him, and, and I thought, wow, that's almost uncanny. The same kind of thing happened with my dad. My dad was 18 or 19 years old and um, there was a war going on and so he went to a midshipman school I think he was 19 years old when they made him the sonar officer on a on a battleship and um, he just had this maturity about him and intelligence about him and he had this unique uh, ability when it came to auditory signals and so here he is, like 19 years old, and he's a sonar officer on a battleship. Well, come to find out, as time goes on, he has two sons. Each of his sons step into things in their 19- and 20-year-old lives where they start doing things that most people don't do until they're late 20s, early 30s, and for some people, never in their lives do they accept that level of authority or responsibility. And both my brother and I ended up doing that. Now, it, w it wasn't that we were trying to do it. It was just that that's, you know, we saw some kind of a goal we wanted to achieve, and in order to achieve it, we had to do this other thing that would, you know, and neither one of us realized at the time that it was unusual for somebody our age to be doing that. So these things get passed generation to generation, the good as well as the not so good, and we're blind to it. I remember talking about reading the book and talking about the book by Mark Wolin, W-O-L-Y-N, maybe N-N, but anyway, the book is It Didn't Start With You. And it's another book where they're talking about the acknowledgement that these patterns get passed generation to generation. 
and our geneticists and our anthropologists and our sociologists and our psychologists are learning with hard science experiments that these things get past generation to generation whether we're aware of it or not. And the traumas as well as the strengths get past generation to generation. And it is not uncommon for me to be dealing with somebody in a therapy practice where they uncover, you know, um, their father doesn't talk to their aunt or their uncle. Their grandfather hasn't been seen by anybody in the family for, you know, 60 years. Their, you know, great-grandfather abandoned the family um, and went off and started a new family and never contacted his kids. And, and, and they're coming to me for help with a problem in their current family that's almost a perfect mirror of raging at somebody and wanting to cut them out of their lives. And they're completely oblivious to the fact that it's just like the family pattern that's been going on for generations. I remember talking about the um, advanced family therapy class I took after I'd already finished my doctorate. This was a postdoctoral training that was completely voluntary and expensive and a year-long program, but one of the things that it revealed to me was so powerful, and that is that we are blind to these family patterns. There is no way we can see them. And in this, we would do a genogram. Each one of us would be take turns in the uh, hot seat, you might call it, and the teacher would ask us questions about our family and you know, our family of origin and our mother and father, brothers and sisters if we had them, as much as we would could tell her we knew about our grandparents, aunts and uncles, etc. Great grandparents, great aunts and uncles. And she would draw out on this piece of paper the dynamics, the the basics. Was this a man or a woman? How old were they when they died? How old are they now if they're still alive, etc.? And she had a specific notation to map all of this out. And she would work from the bottom of the page up. And then when she got up at the top, now these are the the people in the great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents, whatever research we'd done about the family. And then as she came down, she would start asking us questions about the relationships between those people. And she would have specific wavy lines, curved lines, dotted lines, solid lines, etc., to indicate the strength or the lack of relationship between people in the family. And by the time she got down to the bottom of the page, every single time, everybody in the room who was not in the hot seat was either exclaiming or murmuring and seeing powerful patterns. And the person in the hot seat was left thinking, what are they, what are they talking about? And just completely blind to what had been revealed. And sometimes even resistant to seeing it once it was being shown to them. Every one of us was blind to the patterns that we described to the woman who was drawing the genogram. Understand, she didn't know anything about us. 
She hadn't met us before this class. All she was doing was asking a program series of questions. We were providing the answers, and everybody in the room saw what we were telling her except for us, except for the person doing the describing. The most powerful example was the woman, and remember, this was a year-long class, so we had months to get to know each other, and this woman was in her late 30s, early 40s, and she had a daughter who was maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in that range. And from the beginning of our time talking about ourselves and our families, she talked about the horrible time she was having with this daughter who was acting out violently, who was disrupting the home, etc. And so for the first three or four months, we're all therapists with at least 15 years' experience doing therapy. We're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at her for suggestions on how to fix this and help her daughter, etc. And, of course, most of them she'd already tried because she was a therapist herself. And though she hadn't already tried, she was willing to take, you know, in the month off between our uh, class meetings, she would try them and come back and then invariably report that, you know, that was a great idea and some of the other people in the family liked it, but it didn't help my other daughter at all and it's still horribly violent and disruptive. And by the time four or five months had gone on, even I shifted and said, yeah, I guess it's probably a good idea to put your daughter in residential care because you have to protect the other kids in the house, and if she can't stop being violent and she's destroying property and potentially hurting other people, etc. And then she had her turn in the hot seat, and she described her family history all the way going back as far as she could and then coming back down. And when she got to the bottom Every one of us in the room turned to her, I'll call her Sally, and said, Sally, you cannot send your daughter away. And she was horrified because she was finally, you know, getting to the idea that, well, if all these therapists think I have to send her away, and maybe I should. And she said, what do you mean? She had just described in her genogram that if she sent her daughter away, it would have been the fifth generation in a row where the second oldest girl child had been sent out of the house between 10 and 11 years of age. And it was just astounding that she couldn't see that, even though she's the one who had reported it to us. And she fought the conclusion, and she said, you don't understand this was in the South, and they were farmers, and of course they would, she literally said, of course they would send away the second oldest daughter because they already had somebody to look after the babies, and she couldn't work in the field. She would just be another mouth to feed. She gave this entire rationalization that had nothing to do with the emotional impact on a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old girl who would be sent away from her family and we could understand it. It was a, a thoroughly well-rehearsed defense mechanism because Sally had been sent away from her family to live in another county and work at somebody else's farm and do the child care and the cooking and the cleaning, basically indentured servitude. That's how power, powerfully blind we are to cross-generational family patterns. 
And so I strongly encourage each and every one of us, if we are encountering an irrational fear, if we're encountering an irrational rage, that we start to look into the potential, the possibility that this isn't just our stuff, that this is a cross-generational family pattern that might be feeding some negative and completely unproductive conclusions within us that unless they are brought to the surface and seen consciously, logically, and worked with, they will drive our behavior and be thoroughly disruptive in our lives. And how do you work with that? The same way you work with everything else that comes up in your conscious awareness, whether it's an irrational thought or fear. You can do EFT tapping. You can do the reality management worksheet. You can do the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter tool. And it's highly recommended that you assume that if if your conscious logical mind looks at it and says, you know, I really like... I look at my life today and I, I think I should be happy and I think I should be, and you can't get happy, it's probably a cross-generational family pattern. Or um, um, even in your own lifetime, uh, a trauma that's been downloaded from some interactions in your childhood or young adulthood that hasn't been consciously dealt with. And if you apply the tools, you apply the reality management worksheet, you apply the three early memories of conflict, and then you start applying the reality management worksheet and or uh, the mind shifter tool and start asking to be shown what is this hidden dynamic in your mind that's having you act in ways that even you understand go against logic and therefore we call them irrational. And that's one of the things that you know Michael uses as a core in this work is y- you might have all kinds of rationalizations for it like this woman would have for sending, you know, the second oldest female child away, etc. And yet if you're in any kind of hostility or fear, that's all you need to say I'm in error. If you can stick with that, if you can stick with this, if I'm in pain, I'm in error. If I have any kind of negativity, fear or hostility, hurt or confusion, let me just pretend that what's happening in this moment with my mind energy is an error. And if I start there and I allow myself to explore that, and apply the tools, I'm probably going to get far better results than if I try to assume that what my conscious logical mind is telling me about how I'm right and the world is wrong is the truth. If I'm in pain, my thinking is in error. That's the way he's saying it, the most recent version of the worksheet process. But for years he just said, you know, if I'm in pain, I'm in error. And then he realized, you know what, a lot of people don't like to be told they're, they're, they're making an error, so let's just say when I'm in pain, my thinking is in error. And so he thinks he gets more people to buy into that observation and then take appropriate steps when he states it that way. 
So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1, we can have a conversation. How does this sit with you? What's it stirring up for you? What questions might you have about how to start exploring what might be counterproductive cross-generational family patterns in your life? And or if you have a story about recognizing how you've inherited strengths and traits that are highly beneficial, how they're playing out generation after generation in your family. 563-999-3581. I have um, have several people in my caseload right now who are struggling, and one of the ideas that has been most beneficial for them is to start looking at this, both the the benefits of the cross-generational patterns I've inherited and the pitfalls. It's the same as with um, when people talk about um, past lives. Sometimes they come in and say, well, do you believe in past lives? And I say, you know what, that's not important. What's important is, do you believe it? Do you think there's something useful in it for you? If you're looking at a past life pattern, if you're looking at a cross-generational family pattern, if you can see something unfolding in your life right now, and you can make... Um, shifts or get insights into the worksheets you might use or the targeted journaling you might engage in and it it's built around a model of thinking that you know past life regressions or um, cross-generational family patterns are are the issue just use it because the, the fact of the matter is if you're experiencing it in your life today it means that there's a dynamic in your thought-slash-emotional mechanism that can be adjusted to your benefit. Area code 541, is this Celinda? Yes, and today I, um, I have to report to you that yesterday, I, was it my phone number that you were trying to unmute and it wouldn't unmute? Yes, I mean, you couldn't, okay. Um, When Susan got on the phone and said she could hear me just fine, and then she heard this little whirring sound in the distance, I had a small computerized machine on, and it was close to the phone, and it never even dawned on me when I unmuted that it would interfere with the radio show. So I'm sharing that. I I got off right away so that... um, well, the, uh, the the idea is no one no one was hearing you just fine. You were very faint. The 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 one person Susan said she could hear you. I heard some noise, but couldn't detect any words. But well, I just you're back now to today, and, and and so how can we support you today? Well, I just wanted to share that also. And I also was doing worksheets just before the show. And everything that you have been saying 
uh, absolutely fit the worksheet process I was doing. So I really am grateful for that. I originally was going to do a totally different worksheet, and for some reason those worksheets that I had worked on before uh, came up, and I went ahead and continued with that theme. And it really does sound like intergenerational things that are going on in my worksheet. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for that and I am not quite through my last worksheet but from my previous goals um, at the end of the worksheet around uh, myself my self-hatred shame, terror and uh, guilt that came up concerning my daughter I did get to terror and rage on this last worksheet that I'm doing now, which took me right back to my two-year-old experience of being uh, beaten on the legs to stop any tantrums I had, but I've made, I'm making further connections. So I really appreciate exactly what you've been talking about today. Okay, well, I'm glad you're finding it useful. I just... Uh... Even as you say that, thinking once again about a two-year-old being beaten, um, I just want to remind people to breathe and soften, maybe do some EFT tapping, um, because most of us hearing that will have some strong reactions, whether it's resonating our own um, experience of negativity through parenting or um, resonating compassion because we had such a different more loving experience and um, wishing that everyone's life was like that either way it's worth processing whatever comes up when you hear statements or comments like that And we could go through this worksheet that I'm working on right now, and I can see where it's going to lead me to another worksheet and tie in with this letter of amends I'm making to a friend of mine of 50 years. And um, it's all around guilt and shame and um, connected to this terror and rage that I felt at two years old. And the guilt I felt at three when I first lied to my mother. So did you say just now that we could go through this? Are you offering to go through yeah. it? Yes, thank you. Okay, so, so where where are you since we're somewhat time limited? Where, what, do you, what do you have so far as the emotion and the thought you're using to create the emotion? Okay, uh, the emotions are terror and rage, which I need to break them out. I'm doing terror today, and I'll do rage on and, the three-year-old. And, and is, this, is this about a situation that happened way back in time, or is this happening now? Yes. This is about the, me, me as a two-year-old. Okay. Being beaten on the legs, and the feeling of both rage and terror in that process. And I can uh, separate those out later. Okay. And so what's take... the uh, the thought you're using to create the one emotion you want to use in this one? Are you using fear? And is the thought, I'm not going to survive this? Yes. Uh, the fe- it's terror. I think it's beyond just fear. It's terror. 
and I am in great pain, and she's killing me. Okay. And what's the goal that you've chosen? Uh, to treat me with gentleness. Wipe out the need for this. Okay. To treat me with gentleness and kindness so I can feel safe and loved. Okay. And breathe and soften, and do you have a punishment thought for her? Yes. I would want to hit her, and I made a uh, connection between that and my um, palsy in my left arm. Okay. So breathe and soften, and do you have a punishment thought for yourself in this situation? Yes, hating myself. Okay. That I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shameful, I'm no good, I hate myself. All right. And then we want to do connecting with love in the fourth step. Because you've already chosen the goal, right? Restate right. the goal, please. Treat me with gentle. I want my mother to treat me. Mommy is what I use, actually. I want my mommy to treat me with gentleness and kindness so I can feel safe and loved. <clears throat> loved. Okay. All right. And now we want to use a loving memory. We want to reconnect to love and the loving energy. And so what My memory gran- will you use to strengthen that? My grandmother, when I was four years old and mom sent me to dad while she was getting a divorce. No, that was before. I have no idea. Well, she sent me to dad the first time. And I stayed at least six months with my paternal grandmother, who just totally enveloped me in her nurturing and her love. And that was what gave rise to me to wanting to always live with my father's side of the family. And my father was kind but distant. Okay, so breathe into that. I like to have people, you know... Trust the process, close your eyes, put your hand over your heart space, and breathe into that loving thought or memory and strengthen it until you actually feel a shift in your energy away from this terror toward that loving energy and the warmth of that loving, safe, strong energy rolling in your heart space. And let me know when you've gotten a shift. shift? Yes. The beginning of a shift. Okay. So now we're just going to go to step five, which reminds us that when I'm upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data and it's driven by my goal in number three. It's a limiting picture constructed from a max of nine bits of data when 10,000 brain cells are firing and probably 20 trillion bits are hitting my senses. So by canceling my goal, my replicate mind collapses its reality, and it gives me direct contact with whatever's been denied and dissociated in my brain. 
And that part of my brain has just been conditioned to project and blame others for its content. So right now I'm going to hold love conscious, active and present, and choose to collapse my mind's goal and lies by willingly canceling my goal for my mommy to treat me with gentleness and kindness so I can feel safe and loved. Okay, and write that in your worksheet if you haven't already, and breathe. And the next part of step five says, I invite something other than my conscious logical mind. It could be Holy Spirit, God, light, love, this grandparent that you're talking about that was so loving. I invite something outside my conscious logical mind to incline me towards healing, to restore me to my awareness of my newborn essence as love. To help me heal my denial. Heal my capacity to generate my emotion of terror. And to help me open a direct conscious relationship with and gently remove the denied, dissociated, and projected parts of my carbon-based memory. Is it possible, Tim, to um, read your forgiveness pattern? Yep. Or do we have time? So breathe and soften. Okay. Close your eyes if you wish. Breathe and soften and silently inside your own mind say what I'm going to say out loud. I okay. cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. I specifically cancel my goal in this worksheet. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf for now, and I ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset. And then I just want to breathe and soften and put myself in the most open, allowing space I can find and trust that whatever comes to mind is going to be part of what I need to see to begin to heal here and move forward. And just watch. It's all old stuff. It can't hurt me any more than it already has. If something comes to mind from an earlier time in my life, I just want to go there, or perhaps a more recent time in my life. I want to go there. I want to see what's happening. I want to see how old I am, where I am, who else is there with me, and what's happening. And I want to just study any little detail, breathing and softening, trusting that anything that comes to my mind after I've asked to be shown is going to be part of what I need to see to begin to heal here and move forward. So just breathe and watch and soften and trust the process. And stay with it, reminding yourself to cancel your need to be right, cancel your need for anyone or anything to change, including yourself, and stay with it until you feel something shift or fade or you get an insight or you realize that you're just going to keep spinning for now and take a nice, deep, cleansing breath and let it all go and scan your body and notice what's the strongest emotion and or the strongest physical sensation you're aware of now. Okay. I had made some of these connections already. Um in the previous worksheet I had done about my daughter and her homelessness, 
I um, was sick to my stomach, literally didn't, you know, felt nauseous and sick to my stomach. And so I stopped that worksheet after I'd finished it and put in my goal, the new loving goal. And today when I started this worksheet, I felt somewhat um, disassociated. Uh, oh, actually, I did another worksheet on my daughter's homelessness and another situation of an interaction with her, Larry's and my interaction with her. And I was still uh, somewhat squeamish in the stomach, but I felt like I'd gone down further. And it, it, this this awareness in me had gone down more towards my stomach area, so it wasn't as bad. And I finished that worksheet, which led me to this one. So what I feel now is um, a deep uh, compassion for all of us and in this intergenerational mix. And I now see that my mother mentioned to me, she told me about the event, which I totally do not remember, about her beating me. And then later, when I was a teenager, she mentioned to me that she was um, uh, terribly terrified of her rage. And she had sent my brother away, so I suspect she had done the same thing with him with more disastrous results because he wasn't giving in. And then the third thing she told me when I went to see her when she was dying uh, was that she she knew she was a liar, uh, a constant liar. And I had figured that out when I was young, so I didn't trust her, but when we made amends, she mentioned that to me, and we could embrace each other. <clears throat> so these are all connected, and it sounds very intergenerational here. And I feel much more compassion for everybody, including myself, including Larry, with whatever he's going through in any way that affects our relationship as we both bounce off of each other with our unresolved stuff. So I share that with you. That's what I'm feeling at the moment. All right. That's feelings and thoughts, and I would just make sure that you write those for yourself. And then the rest of the worksheet says, I ask to be shown a time when I have not lived up to the goal I had for my mother. So just make that, you know, commitment, that asking for source or your, guides or whatever to let you know when you're not living up to being gentle with yourself or somebody else so that everyone Uh feels safe. And then step seven says a principle of the universe is that by giving, I first get the original. So what's a loving goal you could set for yourself slash your mother in this seventh step which you would be willing to complete and be able to complete before your next, you know, the end of your next waking period. Um, and EFT tapping, I really, um, I'm highly resistant to doing that. And yet I know at the same time it really works when I do. And that's just um, having to get it right stuff. So I'm going to let go of that. And then the other thing is um, letting it evolve as it's meant to be, is to do another worksheet on when I was three years old and first lied to my mother. Okay. 
and um, continue to talk to my mother who passed at 62. So um, she lived one more year. She was on her deathbed when I got on a plane and went to see her, and she, after we made amends, she actually lived one more year, Dr. Tim, before she died, and she wrote me a letter just before she died that said, don't bother to come to my funeral. You came when I needed you. Okay. All right. Just make that commitment to do that work, and um, then you won't be creating any unresolvable stress, and you'll move yourself a little bit closer to being able to stay warm and loving in your thoughts and energies when you think about your mother and you think about yourself as a two-year-old. Right. And I, I would imagine that you can take a breath and scan your body and notice what your upset level is for now and write that on the worksheet as well. I imagine it's somewhat reduced from the terror that you were be feeling in the beginning. Right. And I noticed that I am shaking and maybe that's a good thing. Get this get these um unconscious uh physical patterns that arrive in error of thought out of my body. That would be wonderful. <laughs> well, so do I can that. move just forward. Keep, right. Just keep breathing, and some would say also tapping can help move that energy. Okay. And then if okay. you're like most of us who have a worksheet like that, you might want to mark it a successful worksheet just to to reinforce from the conscious logical part of your mind that you know even though it doesn't always feel good, this is the process of healing. Oh, and I can see other issues coming up, so it's going to be rich. All right. I'm in the sesame. I'm in Alibaba's sesame cave. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate your sharing the worksheet with us, and I'm glad you were able to get a shift. And I look forward to hearing your continued news about work that you follow up this with. Thank you. All right. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Thank you for the call. I'm uh, looking at the board and realizing we've got about a minute left, a minute and a half. I don't see anything from Michael and Jeannie yet, but I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And there's Jeannie Rice. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for playing the show yesterday, too. You're welcome. Have a great show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Tuesday, February the 21st, and our call-in number is 563 999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you in the queue to talk to us and we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show and we'll give Michael just a minute to dial in and there he is welcome Michael hello Michael Okay, he's uh, having just a moment of delay there. So while we're waiting on him to dial in, I'll just say that it looks like there might be a change to um, the Heartland. The uh, group that was going to use the facility uh, didn't have enough people, I guess, to sign up to use it. And so they are 
um, not going to be using the facility in August. However, we are waiting to hear from you all. And if we get enough people that are still interested in doing either the nine-day why or the 16-day Food Fund Forgiveness and Work, then those are still on the table for discussion, so we need you to let us know if you're interested in participating in that. So you can either call me or Michael, or you can email. My email is Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org. And I think I heard Michael make a noise, so let's see if he's on with it. You did. You did. I'd be here. So welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here, and and we could be we could possibly do a teacher training this summer if there's enough interest. So, if you're interested, now's the time to speak up or forever hold your peace. And a couple of things that um, I've found rather interesting and rewarding this past week, and I'm just looking for the page now. We had a uh, received an email from a minister who posted a video from our YouTube channel on his website. And here's what he wrote. I have a background in electronics and other technical areas, which plays a role in my own ministry. But my own ministry is subject to my need for personal growth. So in a friend shared Dr. Bryce's video about setting a trap for God, my own growth was accelerated. So he wrote us an email to say thank you. And on his post, on his website, he wrote, here's his introduction to the video that he posted. And I went back. Actually, I just finished listening to it. It's one that was done back in, let's see, when did we do that? 2017, I think. Any event, not particularly important when we did it, but you might want to check it out and give it a listen. It's actually one of the crispest uh, videos that I've done on this idea of the physics of what people call prayer. Uh, and think is something to do has something to do with religion, and there's nothing about religion in the idea of prayer as it comes from the ancient Aramaic. And the video is entitled. Let me get to it here. Things skip around when you change pages. There are a bunch of different videos, but the one in particular, seven years ago. 27 minutes and 48 seconds. So it's entitled Living, Not Saying the Lord's Prayer. And it's a really concise picture that you might find interesting, but this minister uh, introduced it. He actually copied it and put it on his website. Even as a minister in the entirety of my life, I've struggled with the concept of love. In spite of the unloving nature that I have displayed toward others at times, I'm not a wolf in sheep's clothing. Many of us are. I'm just the opposite. Pardon me. As many of us are, I'm just the opposite. I've been a sheep my entire life, even when I wasn't aware, as an atheist or an agnostic. But the world taught me wrongful behavior, as it is with all of us, because the broken world produces broken people. That is because, since the flesh and blood version of Yeshua, 
there's been no other human available to teach us how to do everything exactly right. And therefore, the world and the enemy have applied a thick layer of fur. I thought it was an interesting idea. That never belonged to me. I work hard day by day in my walk as a Christian, moment by moment, to shed that layer and be a better person than I was the moment before. I've known for a long time that God is love. I'm well aware that if I want to live in his house when I leave this body, I have to learn to be a conduit for that love. But until I watched this video, I didn't fully understand how to get from point A to point B. I want to thank a friend of mine for sharing this video with me. I want to thank the Creator for bringing it to me exactly at exactly the right time. And then he offers us a thank you. So I suggest that you uh, pick up and give a listen to that video entitled Living, Not Saying the Lord's Prayer. And it's from seven years ago. It was actually done at uh, Unity in Wilmington. So... And I'm putting a link in the notes. In the notes. Sunny, Jeannie, that's such a shock that you've done that already. (laughs) Anyway, it's a good video. I liked it. I enjoyed it. The way it was, you know, it's kind of like when things, you know, you're on track and things just come together just right. Well, I just had all the components that that, uh, make for a life-changing type presentation. And then uh, an even more profound um, contact we got from someone. Jeannie and I were actually heading out to dinner the other night, and phone rang, answered it. And a fellow had been to Heartland about 20 years ago. We stayed in touch. We might talk every year or so, say hello and catch up. The man that's been in jail had some challenges. And I had met, in some of our travels, I had met his dad, kind of made friends with his dad, had a few conversations with his dad on the phone. And he called us to say that uh, his dad had been murdered. Actually, it was that his father had passed away and would let us know, and then that the, there's some evidence and suspicion that his father was actually murdered. And the reason for his call wasn't so much to tell us that his dad had passed. It wasn't as if we were any great friends or anything, but, but uh, to say that he actually had just the night before met with a man that they think committed the murder and it was due to the work that he did. He actually spent a whole summer at Heartland back about 20 years ago. But the work that he had done then shored him up in a way that he could meet this this man. And he said, if I hadn't had that work, I'd have been finding a way to get him out into a wood, the woods and cut him up into pieces. But he said, I was able to meet with him and keep a vibration and energy of love going in me while he met this man. And they're doing some you know, research, I guess, and investigation to see if they find out what really happened. But you know, in terms of feedback, if somebody does the work, it doesn't get much better than a situation that could be really you know, devastating to everybody, especially if there hadn't been a murder take place. But it could have been life-destroying for him, especially with the time that he'd 
that he'd spent some time in jail previously could have really been, you know, pretty destructive. But instead, and he shared that he, you know, started out with a rage when he heard that this might be someone that he knew might be the person that murdered his father. And that he was able to come back to a centered space of connected love. And, you know, my acknowledgement for him was that this is, you know, a, a world-changing event. What he did energetically shifts the whole planet, energetically opens a space for those who think they have lots of reasons for rage. And he's pretty clear that rage has been one of his drugs. That um, he was able to work through that and really bring love present to a situation that was just horrendously painful for him. Showed him all kinds of different pain that he had inside himself. And there's a powerful line in the Course of Miracles that says, when you're healed, you are never healed alone. And that millions yet unborn will benefit from the work that each of us do. came across a similar idea actually last week I was doing some research and I forget who it was but some well-known teacher out of India and he had prescribed a certain form of meditation and his offering to his students I watched a video somebody referred me to but was that each person who would do this meditation would open the space, and, and I don't remember exactly what that number short, but, but would open the space for thousands of people to move into a more peaceful place in their lives, energetically would create support for a shift in people around the world. And I believe that this young man was what he did this past week, really created that kind of space on the planet. So... We appreciate the kind of the opportunity to have a conversation with you. Excuse me. <clears throat> a little frog in my throat. And to really put forward these principles and invite you to share them, invite you to pass them on. You know, if life and joy depend on truth, but the mind is filled with lies and frauds, How much joy can one have in their lives? You know, for this young man, he recognized that his rage was not caused by what he suspected this other man had done, but was something in himself. And each time that one chooses to delete another lie from their mind, they move into a greater state of peace, and each one energetically that moves into a greater state of peace is support for others who are efforting and looking to do the same. Or perhaps even aren't efforting it, but are ready to go there. So when one becomes interested in truth and chooses to remove the disturbing mind energy, the thought disorders of hostility or fear that perhaps controlled the behavior to date. When one chooses to face those things, they open a space, and one person opens a space 
depending how deeply and how powerful they open it, opens a space for many, many, many others to do the same. Yeshua, the physicist, 2,000 years ago, spoke of that principle with these words when he said, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. Clearly, obviously, he wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about us as human beings. And that each one who brings the active presence of love to a mind that is pained and troubled, each one who chooses to collapse the mind's lies that their pain and trouble are caused by somebody else, each one who steps into knowing that they are a creator and consciously creates a space of love in their lives and in their worlds, in their interactions with others, opens the energy window just a little wider for everybody else that's ready to do the same. To go there. So I acknowledge him and thank him for the work he was willing to do around such a, what the world would consider to be a traumatizing event. And I just invite everybody in the audience to tap in. Of course, we're not going to use any names. we keep it private, but just energetically tap in, and you'll, energy will know who the support needs to go to. And, of course, breathing into that space takes it deeper and deeper into physiology. The only error that exists are errors in perception. In truth, there is no absence of love anywhere. Only the awareness of love in the mind can be blocked. Those who block the light believe in darkness and believe there is a a positive presence of darkness, which is totally and completely false. You know, if you use the metaphor of a room that is totally and completely dark, you know, there's a little device, you can push a button, and the darkness is dissipated and replaced by light. But you notice nobody's ever created a flash dark, something where you push a button and it eradicates the light. Because darkness is an absence, it is not a presence. It cannot overtake light, because light is the only presence. And so the same thing applies in the realm of what people call good and evil. An absence of love in a mind means people can buy into any kind of thought disorder and do any kind of crazy, insane, and bizarre behavior. But that doesn't mean that the darkness has any power. It's just those who have lost their connection to active present love function out of minds connected to thought disorders based in hostility or fear. So if there's a situation in your life in which you perceive the presence of love, then you can become the supply of that love. Just because people believe in things doesn't make them true. 
So those who have lost contact with the presence of love will play out thoughts based in what people call darkness. And they repeat the thoughts that they're identified with. So these are all errors in perception. And we know that 2,000 years ago, Yeshua brought a tool with which to completely and totally collapse perception. That literally that whole world, what appears to be a self-standing independent world, and we think it's out there because we say we saw it through our eyes. When you realize that the eyes see absolutely nothing, the eye is a one-way valve. Light energy comes in. Yes, it is fed to the brain. And according to what that light energy resonates in the brain, the content of the brain reflects this perception and becomes the world that people think they see outside of them. But that world never leaves the inside of them. Pain and discomfort comes from a blocked awareness of the presence of love in a mind. And it's time for us to wake up to who we are as the presence of love. And, and all you have to do, you, know, you don't have to believe anything I've said, all you have to do is apply the tool of forgiveness. Allow that perceptual mind that's based in what appears to be darkness to be collapsed a few times, and all of a sudden the crack opens for light to enter that mind. The natural state of every human being is absolute, pure, present love. takes a lot of effort to try to control everything else and make it the way your mind wants it to be. That's all an act of unconsciousness. And it all happens within the mind. It all happens within perception. Any moment that we choose to tap into it, there is always a perfect presence of love. Have fallen into the decision-making mind, whatever it is the predominant resonant energy in the decision-making mind, the mind will tend to focus on and fixate on. Which means there's been a decision made to block what else is possible. When we're perpetually caught up in the ego's thought system, EGO, edging God out, God being love, when we push love out of our minds, we can believe in all sorts of crazy things and then act out of them. And when we join with others who are acting out of the same crazy beliefs, we create craziness. There's always that other way of looking. There's always the possibility of collapsing the perceptual constructs based in darkness, that is any form of hostility or fear, 
If you believe that it's out there, then of course you're powerless over it. But when you realize that the only thing that prohibits you from being in the light is your own unwillingness to connect to the light, In the world, it looks like there are places of dark and light. But that's an illusion. That's something self-created, illusion, illusion. In the Aramaic language, the word illusion means measured. Yes, if you measure darkness into your mind, if you measure hostility or fear into your mind, then your mind will generate perceptual constructs that make it look like that darkness is real. But the only way you can keep doing that is to not look at the light. The world of actuality is made of light. Even the physicists are telling us that. And so the objective is to get back to the truth of who we are. To stop living in perception. Because in perception... And this, you know, I've, I've I've spent time struggling with this one. I woke up doing some still point breathing this morning, and as I breathed. A literal voice said, at your birth, you were not ready to come into this world. Literally, I was informed that that's where the fear started. In the last six days, I was in utero. My mother had toxemia, and they gave her Pitocin for six days to try to force me out of the womb. And in my breathing session today, there's been a progression. There's been deeper and deeper work happening for me, especially the last two or three years. But it literally was like, you were not ready. You're not willing to come into the world. And with that unwillingness came fear. And we've talked before about the impact of sympathetic dominance. I realized that from the beginning, that's where my physiology lived. That's where you know, I, mean, I literally lived in an oxygen tent for months and months and months of my life lived on inhalator and pills. And I realized that being in sympathetic dominance meant that higher brain functions were cut off, blood flow restriction to the parts of the structure that create health. It was actually kind of neat because I had an alarm set for a phone call appointment I had this morning. So I was kind of pulled out of that 
still point session prematurely. And as I began to move around to get ready for my call, I've got this extreme, I mean extreme pulse in the back of my neck, right up just under the base of my cranial structure. So I'm in a little different space today. What that pulsing said to me was that there was an energy flow that was moving in my brain that has never been there in my life. Kind of excited to see where it goes from there. And realizing that from that first minute, it was fear. So interesting to see how things unfold and to realize what we're really here for. Each and every one of us is here to literally be the physiological presence of active love in the world. And the only thing that inhibits that is a thousand generations of unwillingness to function over that love, to say shut down through fear. So it's rendered me in kind of a quiet space today. And so if you're out there in listener land, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Call that number. You'll be listening to the show directly on your phone. And then if you push one, that raise the hand in the control panel, and we'll be having a conversation. So, Machine, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? It is all quiet. We have a lot of people, though, on the switchboard today. So if someone has a question, we've got 32 minutes. We've got plenty of time. Lots of time for conversation. How can we support you? What's on your mind? 563-999-3581. Push one. Hey, let's say hello. 541, you're on the air. Is this Linda? Of course. <laughs> welcome, and young how lady. Today. <laughs> um, We're rocking. Welcome to you. And you're rocking? Well, you're helping me rock. So thank you, uh, what you've experienced today and what you've shared so far. Um, I, was, I had one question to ask you, uh, and that was um, that gentleman, the, the Indian gentleman that was offering the meditation, do you feel comfortable putting that link in on the show or at least sending it to me because I'm very, um, I'm a lateral thinker or whatever that means. And um, I'm very uh, panoramic in my perceptions and in my path. And I was just, I've been building, I'm hoping to go to Vipassana in the spring since COVID canceled oh, nice. uh, for me. And, and I have a girlfriend who desperately wants me to go with her. 
And then I also, um, I would also like to at least listen to this video that you listen to or watch if you if that feels comfortable for you to either send it it's to me or put it at me. It's certainly comfortable if I can find it with something that I just happened to run across. I don't know whether I saved it, but I'll look and see if I can find it. If you can, if you don't mind sending it to me, and then if it is, because sure. what I have found is that I've found the Aramaic gospel in every single thing I have uh, seen, except witchcraft and that sort of thing, satanic worship, which I don't even touch, um, or magic. But um, in most spiritual paths, uh, there's some relating point there that I can go, oh, I can have more compassion and openness and understanding for the way your culture has uh, shaped this uh, spiritual path for you. And it, it feels very comforting to be able to be multilingual in a spiritual sense. I hear you loud and clear. I will look and see if I can find it. And if so, I will gladly send it to you, certainly. Beautiful. And, you know, there's, there's only one power in the universe that's operating. There's only one set of principles by which the universe operates. So even if you went and looked in this satanic stuff, it's all the same thing. Yeah. It's just whether you're doing it with mind energy based in love or mind energy based in hate and fear and rage and guilt and grief. And, you know, when you look at the original Aramaic word Satan, it means the resistor, one who misleads. And most people in the world are trapped into being misled into thought disorders and are members of the one world religion of blame. It's all everybody else's fault. And they have no idea that they're practicing Satanists. Well, That's that, most of the world. That is so helpful. It's so expanding. So panoramic. Thank you very much. <laughs> And then the video that I started out with, you know, in the Aramaic language, the word prayer, Uh the focal point of that video, it's living, not saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, the the focal point of it is that the word prayer in Aramaic means to set a trap for God. It does not mean to put your order into the cosmic gift catalog. And to set a trap for God sounds kind of strange in our culture, but... You know, your TV antenna is a trap for Channel 2. If it's oriented and aligned properly, you get a great picture and sound. If you're oriented and aligned properly toward the active presence of love, you get a great picture and sound. You get literally the active presence of love flowing through your structure. And if you orient towards something different, like thought disorders based in hostility or fear, then you get the opposite, and that's called satanic. Principle's the same. Right, right. You know, that, that old... That old, that old, uh, that old song of you know, who's your daddy? Right. Uh, Yeshua, Yeshua was talking to uh, to some of the uh, the Pharisees at one point, and he and he points out that their father, and in that case, it wouldn't be their biological father, but the source of their thinking. He says, "Your father is a liar, and the father of liars. There is no truth in him. One who's stuck in carbon-based memory is stuck in." things from the past that present themselves as true in the present and therefore are a lie. And it's not until we can align ourselves properly to literally become a trap for, you know, our our, our human physiology. My take is that our human physiology is literally designed as an antenna to capture and 
bring a focal point for the literally for the energy of love and and become a source that pours it into the world that's what we're designed for and when we reject our design you know we go in another direction and the world gives us all kinds of false thoughts to chase so that we go off in another direction ah money that's the god ah fear that's the god power all kinds of craziness it's it's much yeah. more imminent than a Sunday morning story, is my point. Oh, sweet, sweet. And it reminds me that I, as a receiver, who is in the process of trying to align my antenna, have to be receptive and open and make the space within myself in order to create the trap for God in which I become free. That's it exactly. You got it. Joining well, it. at least in my head, sure. I'm looking to get it down to that CA, what is CBM memory base, that data bank down there. When I get, uh, when I get it down there, oh boy, wahoo! And it's all That's going. That's prayer. Okay. Thank you so much. So I look forward all right, to that. I shall make the space for you and so that you can find it if it's meant to be found. And thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, blessings. Blessings to both of you. Hey, oh, and receive, thank you. To play with her. Oh, Two days in a row this week. We had her all day yesterday. It was fun. That's why we didn't uh, we didn't do a show yesterday. We had uh, taken her on a, a day excursion. So. Cool beings. Yeah, it was. It's fun. <laughs> All right, blessings. Blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody out there else out there with a hand up or anything happening in the the uh, chat room? No, we don't. Come on, somebody press one. we got 24 minutes. Plenty of time. You know, to uh, the the opening piece, and of course I've shared this on the radio show, but it's been a while since I've talked about it, but the opening piece of that video that we're talking about on living, not saying the Lord's Prayer, was um, there's a story that I, I used to tell quite often when I especially wanted to introduce the Aramaic to someone. And uh, it's a story about you know, let's imagine that uh, we have somebody who wants to come to one of our workshops in, you know, XYZ city, and uh, and they only speak Russian, no English. And so knowing that you are the best translator of Russian to English, English into Russian in the world, that has to be one of your skills. So we ask you, would you be willing to pick this person up at the airport, house them for the week, and translate for them? And you're delighted to do that. And at the end of the week, I, you know, we've hung out with this person who came in for the workshops. We've had fun with them. We've eaten, you know, had dinner with them a couple of times. It's been a, a really, you know, a sweet time. And so at the end of the week, as you're getting ready to take them back to the airport, I ask if you'd let them know that I, you know, I, I want them to know what I think of them. So I, I ask you to just let them know that I think they're really cool. And you turn to them in your best, best Russian. And you tell them that Michael thinks they've got a low body temperature. 
and recognize that you translate my words perfectly. That's what cool means. But though you translated my words perfectly, you didn't say a word about what I meant because I used an idiom. And so much of the Aramaic is an idiomatic language. And so uh, when it comes to an idiom, it's not translatable. You've just got to know the meaning of the idiom. I don't care. You can have the best translators in the world and the best dictionaries written so precisely. But if you take and look up your idiom in a dictionary, take the dictionary definition of the word, i.e. cool, has, a, is, has to do with temperature, but you're using an idiom that has to do with a quality of being that I'm acknowledging, then your translation, I don't care if you look into 100 dictionaries and you explain to us correctly that every dictionary says cool has to do with temperature, so I must have been something to do with temperature. You're in an arena that isn't even related to what I'm talking about. And there is so, so, so much that churchianity talks about that the, the people who are talking about it had no clue that it was idiomatic. You know, that, again, that Lord's Prayer, it's, a, it's a, a physics conversation about how to align yourself to become a space of receptivity for active present love that brings active present love into the world. It's got nothing to do with piety. It's got nothing to do with being down on your knees with your hands folded. And the Aramaic language is so rife with idioms that, well, certainly 100% of the hostility and fear-based conversation in churchianity has nothing to do with the original teachings. Nothing to do, even though they quote, see here are the words. It's nothing to do with it. It's idiomatic. When you tell somebody you think they're cool and it's, you convey that it's about body temperature, you haven't said anything even relative to what's being spoken of, even though you took the dictionary definition and got it absolutely perfectly. You listen to the stated purpose of this man, Yeshua, he says, I come to bring you life, life more abundantly. And yet we have people condemning others, ready to go off to war, ready to kill. There's so many crazy things they're ready to do. And they actually think they're doing it in the name of Yeshua. Which in itself is another idiom. To pray in my name means to set a trap for God to become the space the way that I'm explaining for you to do it, for you to do it, how to do it. And so what we're here to do and what our translators did with the Kaburis manuscript was they spent thousands of hours establishing the first century meanings of Yeshua's words in context and in if they were idiomatic, to accurately understand the idioms so we could accurately understand what the direction was.
So that's the purpose of our whole process here, is to make those things understandable from the point of view of physics, from physiology, psychology, genetics, quantum physics, energy systems theory. It all ties together. In the end analysis, there's only one thing to talk about, and it's this thing called life, which Yeshua said, I'm coming to show you how to experience more of it. What is life? Best definition I've been able to come up to yet is that life is love flowing through a cell. That's human life. And anything that anybody does to inhibit that is destroying themselves. I remember back actually in Lansing, Michigan, probably 27, 28 years ago, and there was a, was a fellow there who was teaching my work at that time, and he invited me to go to a um, a club meeting, a service club. I don't remember which one it was, Kiwanis or one of those. And there was a preacher there. This man had been a a preacher for almost 50 years. And he got up and, you know, he did the invocation and said things that just had nothing whatsoever to do with what Yeshua spoke about. And so I sat down to have a conversation with him and and talked about the fact that, you know, we were working with first century language of Yeshua as he spoke it and that here were some of the meanings. Here's what he said. And this guy who'd ostensibly been representing Yeshua for 50 years as a preacher literally said to me, I don't care what he said. I don't care. The Greek meanings, and that's all I need. Okay. Interesting. Interesting how we can get stuck in one of those dynamics. But in the meantime, are you out there with a listening ear that has a thought, a question, something to share with your experience of the work? Something that's on your mind that you'd like to have refined in terms of one of the tools, how the forgiveness process works. By the way, if you haven't been on the show for a while, there is a whole new reality management worksheet available. If you go to whyagain.org, and I'd have to actually defer to Jamie to tell you exactly how to find it, find it. But we've synthesized and created a new reality management worksheet that I think is the one of the simplest and yet the most powerful worksheets we've done yet. We do have a um, a link on YouTube where in the Hear My Voice book club almost two weeks ago now. We walk somebody through that worksheet, so there's a custom set of instructions to walk you through the whole thing, and the the worksheet is right there on the website. Jeannie, do you have a – can you tell us exactly how to get to that worksheet? Yes. Um, the easiest way is just to put in – and I'm putting a link in the notes. Um, the easiest way to get there is whyagain.org forward slash wakeup sheet singular, wake-up sheet, and that will take you to a page where you can get either the PDF format or um, a JPEG 
of two sheets. One is the latest seven step, and then just scroll down a little bit, and there is the short seven step. And I put the link to the YouTube from the Global Book Club where you all went over that on February the 9th. And I'll put a link to that as well in the notes for today. Sweet. Awesome. So if you want to copy the latest worksheet, there it is. And beyond that, if you're out there in listener land, raise a hand. Let's say hello. What's on your mind? How can we support you? What can we clarify for you? You just had two hands go up at the exact same time. Awesome. Let's go for it. (laughs) All right. First one, I think, is Michael Teddy, uh, 770. You're on the air. Hi, folks. Welcome, good sir. How do you be? Wonderful. Thank you. How are you all doing? Rocking. Doing well. Got a beautiful sunny day here. We spent the last two days, went and got two large trailer loads of semi-composted wood chips for our new indigenous garden. So we've got, and she and I both shuffled like Trojans the other day <laughs> to unload this trailer. We probably got about, what, um, hmm, probably about five tons. To be that much. Yeah. That first trailer load we got, Jeannie, I think we, you know, something like that. Anyway. Life that is, is awesome. The pictures, the pictures were wonderful. That's a lot of work, but it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm really excited about the way this new garden is coming together, and this, yeah, this is. new, this new big, huge pile of wood chips. The guy had been composting for about a year, so there's, there's a lot of breakdown already happening. And the, the new garden is on the side of a hill. The hill slopes in two directions, and so we set this right up the pinnacle of the hill. So as it rains on this pile, it'll just wash the nutrients right down into the new uh, indigenous species garden, and mm. we'll be rocking. We got the seeds and just waiting to get clear of frost to be able to plant. Wow. That is, it's going to be beautiful. So, my friend, I thank you and Jeannie again for all your work and all the beautiful information. And I got questions. We're not going to get a cold mile today, and uh, I'm amazed I had the opportunity to sneak away here, if you would, and and get on the call. That's that's great. And uh, I've been looking again at the Avison, and it's it's, uh, just miraculous information. And Many questions. I've listened to your videos again, and the waste buildup that you speak about, because if, I'm trying to remember my understanding, the pre-capillary sphincter is what closes, and that doesn't allow the nutrients to get to the cell. Is that correct? Right. When people are in fear, you know, one of the, the mechanisms of, of – uh, sympathetic dominance is when we go into fear, fight, flight, freeze, or fawning, the protective mechanism of the body is to shunt blood away from vulnerable parts where if we're injured, we could literally bleed to death. And as it shunts that blood away from those parts to the larger muscles where we can fight or run, it shunts blood away from the higher cortical functions of the brain because we don't need to do a calculus problem. We need all the energy we can get to fight or run. 
And if that happens in a chronic way, then what tends to happen is, while well, those capillary sphincters close down to inhibit blood flow into the capillary for protection mm-hmm. sake, and if that becomes chronic, then just like, you know, the example I used in that video, just like if a tree falls across this stream that's been running for hundreds of years with this nice, cool, clean, beautiful water, and the tree falls across the stream, and branches get caught in the tree and leaves and mud and gunk, we now have a swamp, and things grow in swamps that don't grow in nice, cool, clean, you know, flowing rivers or, or, or creeks. Yeah. And so if if one is chronically in that state where the blood flow is shut down, then there's going to be encrusted waste, just like in a swamp, in that tissue. And it's going to take time for an, and an accelerated blood flow to start to break up the crusty uh, congestion that tends to build. You know, just imagine what are you going to do to get rid of the swamp? If, if, if tree's been there for 10 years, you know, you you had your vacation place there and you see you enjoy that beautiful stream and fishing in it, and now it's just a, a messy swamp. It's the first time back in 10 years. What are you going to do? You're going to start cleaning out the gunk. There's going to be mud. There's going to be sludge to move. There's going to be bacteria and viruses. Man, some of that stuff, mud is going to be so stinky because it doesn't belong there. It's supposed to be a flowing stream. And so mm-hmm. that crust material is going to have to clean up wherever it is in the tissue structure in order for a proper flow. And then once the proper flow is established, then you're going to have the oxygen nutrition supplied to the cell where it's needed and the wastes removed where needed. And it's going to change the whole environment, you know, like dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know, they go back in the... Uh, in the in some of the older medical uh, conversations, and you hear, you know, the, the the conversation of the difference between the germ theory of disease and the terrain theory. You know, yes. Are germs associated with disease? Yes. Do germs cause disease? No. But if the terrain is weakened, if there's congestion in the terrain, well, then just like the swamp, things are going to grow there. And if they grow there, then we'd call that, you know, compared to a nice flowing stream, we'd call that swamp a disease. And so it is whether the the swamp is in, you know, the big toe or the liver, the lung, the heart, the brain, wherever it is, if there's a restriction of flow that's created a swamp, then there's going to be, you know, Stink, they're going to be stinking things growing there that don't belong there. Restore the flow and restore the nutrient base, and the environment cleans up. The terrain is cleaned up. So anything other than love causes this uh, situation. Correct. Tissue, physiology is designed to be uh, powered by the active presence of love. When we draw away from the active presence of love, and, and that would be parasympathetic balance. Mm-hmm. So all of the functions throughout the structure are being supplied. But when we move away from, disconnect from love and go into hostility or fear, that's when that shutdown of capillaries happen, which restricts flow, which restricts the removal of waste. Waste build up, and now you've got a stench. So that would lead me to believe in... I'll have you verify this, that if this situation is happening, that's going to cause slow lymph flow 
and eventually lead to things like varicose veins and, and along that nature? It's going to tend to do exactly that. Yes. Uh-huh. And, so it's going to, yeah. you know, where, where the, the wastes build up, there's going to be enlargement. You know, you look at people, you know, you look at the young child and they're trim and slim and all of that, and then about, you know, 35 or 40 and 60, 80, what happens? People tend to balloon and grow or tissue tends to become restricted. And when you can get the fluoride, I don't know if I've shared, did I? Yeah, I think I shared in that video about the intuitive hit I got about cleaning out cells. That was that was powerful for me. Mm. Are, you, are you tapping into what I'm talking about there? You remember in the video I talked about... Well, we, we, one of the intensives we teach is intuitive development, where we teach people mm-hmm. to perceive in ways other than our standard taste, touch, smell, hearing, and sight, you know, that we can, we can gather energies from other sources and build understanding from that. There's actually a, 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 a neat video on YouTube if you do a search for uh, blind cancer um, let's see what is, is it, there's a kid who at two years of age had cancer in his eyes and both his eyes removed and, and he was blinded and, um, his mother taught him to make clicking sounds and they show him in the video as a young teenager riding his bicycle through the streets and playing basketball and scoring baskets. He's totally blind. He goes for a walk with somebody, and he, he tells him, you know, there, there's a garbage can up there. So we're coming up to a garbage can over there on the right, and, no, oh, there's a car over there. It's like, how do you do that? He makes these clicking sounds, and his brain generates perception. He can see the world around him through the sounds he makes and through his ears. So that's an intensive we teach is how to, you know, perceive things differently than our five senses give us. So I was doing an Avacyn treatment back, oh, several months, over a year ago now, and all of a sudden I get this visual, and I see this little guy with a hammer and a chisel going into my cells and just chiseling away at wastes. It's like, that's it. That's exactly what happens. I remember you mentioning that now. So if there's yes. congestion, you know, in naturopathic medicine, the whole root of disease is congestion. If there's congestion and you can start to clean the congestion out, then once the tissue's restored with the nutrients it needs, with the uh, oxygen it needs, and the blockage of flow, the wastes are removed, then the cell's going to rebuild itself. The body knows how to heal itself. It just needs what it needs to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's never been a body, let's say, for instance, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek that I like to, to oftentimes offer is, you know, if you've got somebody with a headache, I guarantee you that body does not lack aspirin or ibuprofen. Right. <laughs> yeah. But there is something that it needs, and if it's given what it needs, it'll heal itself. Yes, the aspirin, the ibuprofen will take away the awareness of the fact that there's something out of order there and the pain will disappear, but that doesn't mean there's been any healing occur. It's going to take restoring what the system needs and removing what blocks it in order for the system to heal, and it heals itself. There is no man that heals anybody. And the primary healer, the major healer, is restoration to the power supply that's needed for the cell, which is 
the active presence of love. We were meant to be a trap for God, as we started out the the, uh, the show with that video where, you know, the Lord's Prayer is about how to become the space that captures and brings love into the world. Wow. That is beautiful. So, I, you know, I, when I looked into this a little deeper, Michael, over the weekend, I saw there was some speculation about the, I, I guess, the precapillary sphincter action in the brain. I don't know if I was reading those right, but my understanding now is that that was a past misconception and that is happening in the brain. Is that a true understanding? Tell me a little bit more about your question. I didn't quite catch it. Yeah. If the precapillary sphincter action is happening in the, in the brain, I saw some studies that said no, and and some say it is. And if it is, I'm wondering if is that related to the how the brain, with the lymphatic system, it gets rid of the waste of the brain while we sleep. Is that all related? Right. Yes, it's all related. Okay. And and the sleep that's needed, you know, there are glial cells in the brain, and in order for them to eliminate, you know, in order for brain mm-hmm. cells to quite literally poop, these glial cells have to turn. And they only start to turn. They only have the energy to turn after seven hours of sleep. So people who don't sleep well have difficulty detoxing their brains. And again, it's all got to do with energy flow. Mm -hmm. So if we don't get those toxins out of the brain, I mean, there's many things related to that, even... Uh, cognitive issues and and so on, right? Everything. Everything's related. Yes. If it's supplied by blood and there's a restriction, there's going to be a problem. And my take would be that, you know, at least, you know, 90 to 95% of any kind of disorder or disease has to do with it's not getting the proper nutrient flow and or there's Mm -hmm. a, a blockage of the energy that it needs. And the show is going to cut us off any minute. But go ahead if you have another thought and we'll talk till it until it uh, shuts down. Yeah, I got, I got several, but I'll, I'll work on getting on here again. And certainly a pleasure to speak with you again, and thanks for the info. Okay. Well, when we're complete here, I'm actually, I've got to go out and do an errand. I'm going to be in the car for about the next fits or so. If you've got the time, I'll give you a call back and see if we can finish or if there are any other thoughts. Okay. okay. Sounds great. I'll call we'll you back that. in about two minutes. In the meantime, everybody, thank you for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. And blessings. Bye-bye.